Welcome to the Whitetail Guru Hunting Podcast. This is your host, Nathan Unger, and this is episode 47. And today on the show, we are joined by bear biologist Adam Hammond. And Adam is the state bear project leader across the entire state of Georgia. And as we will get into um, in detail, there are three distinct populations across Georgia that um, have very similar characteristics and different characteristics as well. And we will dive into that. But before we get started, um, I just wanted to tell you guys um, or ask you, I guess, if you'll uh, take a moment and go over to our YouTube channel and subscribe as well as our Instagram and follow us there. Um, We'd really appreciate Appreciate it. Um, as deer season is coming to a close, we are still doing um, a bunch of um, Instagram stories, and we'll be doing some videos here and there um, into the off season that leads into turkey season. So make sure you subscribe if you haven't seen the video yet of the deer I call Carjacker, uh, the five and a half year old Georgia buck um, that I've been after for several years. Be sure to go over to our YouTube channel, check it out. Um, it's a really neat hunt, um, a lot of history with that deer. So uh, I'd really, um, yeah, I appreciate it. Leave a comment, let us know what you think. But before we dive into our interview, um, I'll want to give you guys an update. So uh, first of all, hope you guys had a wonderful Christmas and a great New Year. Um, as we uh, just get back into the uh, the everyday grind, um, so I was up in Virginia trying to fill a tag this past week, and um, it was tough hunting. I will say that, but. I had my opportunity and I completely blew it. So um, I think I just got a little overconfident and took a um, less than ideal shot, a shot that um, quite frankly, had I hit the deer, still would have dropped him. But um, I think uh, just Hunter Adrenaline got the best of me and I just whiffed. And um, a nice uh, clean miss as far as I know, tracked the deer for uh, 200 yards at least and just no blood anywhere to be seen. Um, so we, my, uh, my dad and my brothers are um, up there now, and so they haven't found any deer either. So the good thing is it's uh, family property that um, we can search and grid as much as we need to. So we're run, we're running cameras uh, to see if uh, you know he's still around. Hopefully he is. Um, but yeah, so had a nice 45 yard shot and just missed. Um, I should have been a little bit more patient, but uh, really good buck, a buck that um, I'm not sure if we have photos of. I need to get um, a couple more photos of him in the late season to uh, identify who he was. Definitely a mature buck, no doubt about it. Um, came in really hard, really fast. Uh, this was December the 20. 20- Eighth, I believe, and um, 7.30 in the morning, I was set up over uh, basically just a fescue field, nothing super special, but um, definitely an area that uh, these deer frequent, and so um, got set up, 7.30, he is piling through um, out of this really thick bedding area uh, over a small poor man's plot through another bedding area. And right out into this open field, comes out, um, looks at me, puts his head down, and basically I shoot, and he takes off. At first, I thought I hit him, um, and just 
no blood to be found. So um, that's how I uh, pretty much am finishing out my year, going two for three. Um, it's been a fantastic year. Um, I definitely can't complain. Probably um, the best year as far as uh, you know successful harvests have gone for me personally um, in my deer hunting career. Um, the uh, rest of the season, I'll be strictly um, hunting for hunting for does since that's the only tags I have here in Georgia. Um, that'll probably be it for out-of-state hunts for me. Um, we'll just kind of keep it close to home, but um, it's been a good season. So um, thank you guys for keeping up with us in 2019. I appreciate it very much. Um, so once again, we are going to dive into our interview. Um, thank you guys for listening and here we go. All right. On the line with me now, I have Adam Hammond and Adam is a, um, biologist and I'm sure much more with, uh, bears in North Georgia, um, among other things. But, uh, before we dive into all that he does, Adam, how you doing this afternoon? I'm doing great. Great, Nathan. Good to be with you. Well, good. Well, yes, sir. Thank you for coming on. And um, I know we've been uh, trying to set this up for a little while now, so I'm really appreciative that you have taken time out of your day to do this. Uh, I know we had a, um, like we talked about beforehand, we just had a our second baby, and so we kind of put That's things awful. on hold for uh, about a month. And so we're, you know, learning and figuring out the. Uh, the ins and outs of, uh, the new normal for us. So, um, but, um, tell us a little bit, um, about what you do and kind of your title as well. Sure. So I am the state's bear project leader and, uh, the first of the full-time bear project leaders in the state. So we've never had one that just did bears full-time. And this is a, a new, new title, new job duties for me. And it's fairly new, like maybe the last year and a half or so before that I was a regional biologist in Northwest Georgia and I worked with bears just, you know, just because I had the territory that included Cahutta and Fannin County, Gilmer County, uh, Pickens County and Murray County. And now I've got the whole state. And so I'm working with bears, even down in Oki Finoki and down in middle Georgia as well. Oh, wow. So you, you are all over the state now. So I did not realize um, that you were, uh, traveling that that far to and from, so um, I'm I'm glad that you mentioned that because we're gonna uh, definitely dive into some of those different regions of the state. Um, but if you can, can you kind of just give us a little bit of history on the um, the overall bear populations, and maybe they each have their own little history. But I'm um, just kind of like, you know, are bears native to Georgia? Were they introduced? Um, just kind of along those lines. Sure. Yeah, they, they are native wildlife. And so we've had a bear population really uh, forever, as far as I know. And uh, if you go back in time, there was certainly a time when bears had been, you know, uh, severely depleted, I guess, as a population. And there were just some remnant populations that held on throughout that time. So if you go back to the 40s and 50s, you know, there weren't very many bears at the time. Uh there was still a small population that survived in the Appalachians. And then there was also a population down in the Okefenokee. And we have a small population that survived around the Okmulgee River as well there in central Georgia. So quite a bit different in terms of uh, the size of these populations. We could talk about that if you'd like. But, you know, different size populations, some different characteristics. Um, but 
we have healthy populations of bears really all across the state. And uh, today, the, the North Georgia population, of course, is our largest population. But even uh, that Central Georgia population is our smallest. It's the most isolated, maybe the one that maybe needs the most care, I guess, and careful management just because it is so small. Uh, the Okefenokee population, of course, is part of the same population that extends over into the Apalachicola area and into the uh, northern Florida region there, so it crosses over. And, of course, bears don't know any boundaries. You know, if you think about our North Georgia bear population, it shares, you know, we share bears with North Carolina, Tennessee, South Carolina, on up into the Appalachians further up in Virginia and West Virginia. So bears roam over large territories, and, and they cross state lines all the time, but those three populations, North, Central, and South Georgia, we've got, you know, more or less distinct populations in all three areas. Well, cool. And um, if you wouldn't mind, if you can just talk about um, some of, like you said, they were different sizes. I don't know if you have specifics on that offhand and also maybe some of the different characteristics that make up those different uh, Northern, Central, and Southern populations. Sure. So the North Georgia population, we estimated around 3,000 bears. Um, again, those numbers are based on the, the best information, the best data that we have, but they're just estimates, you know. So we can look at trends, and we've seen populations grow, especially in the mountains over time, uh, from probably, you know, a, a low back in the day. You know, we might have had as few as 50 bears at one time that had, had survived in the Appalachians to today somewhere around 3,000 bears. Now, in, in central Georgia today, we estimate that population, which has been studied a fair amount of late uh, through some studies at UGA. We've, we have estimated that population somewhere around 300 bears. And then the southeast Georgia population, the Okefenokee population, it's, part, it's, it's estimated to be about 800 bears. But uh, certainly, you know, we've seen some growth in the population in southeast Georgia probably not to the same extent that the, the North Georgia population has grown. But again, the one that, that's more or less stayed the same over time, and we've got a little bit more concern from a conservation standpoint, would be that middle Georgia population where it is just so uh, isolated geographically and potentially even there's not, it doesn't seem that there's as much genetic inflow into that population like we see in the Appalachians. You know, we get bears from North Georgia that, you know, they, they kind of move around all over the place. And we've had bears from Florida that ended up in North Georgia. You know, that's happened before when a bear was relocated or something along that line. So they can certainly move over large distances, but there's a lot of barriers, I guess, and a lot of vehicles between here and, and that middle Georgia population. So it doesn't seem to have as much inflow into that population as we'd like. Right. Yeah, that makes sense. So do you think, and that was kind of my next question, you, you kind of already answered it. Um, is it simply the, um, you know, regional or territorial isolation that is um, preventing these populations in central Georgia and for that matter, South Georgia to not grow as much as maybe the North Georgia population is, or are there other factors involved with that too? I would say, you know, that's something we don't fully understand or appreciate, but you know, of course, in the North Georgia area, we, we've got Atlanta and a pretty big obstacle there to some expansion, although I will say that, you know, bears are very adaptable and, and we've got bears that you'll see pop up on the news all the time, even around Gwinnett County. On the north side of Altoona, you know, we've had bear sightings there for 
Oh, as long as I've been working in North Georgia, so over 15 years, I'm sure that, you know, frequent that north north side of Lake Altoona and on up in, you know, you get up into Canton coming, you know, you're starting to move into bear country. So you don't have to go far out of Atlanta to, to get into bears there. Uh, that middle Georgia population, again, there's been some uh, research done where we looked at road crossings. Of course, that middle Georgia population, you know, we've managed the hunts very conservatively just to be sure that we don't negatively impact the population as a whole. We have very limited opportunity there for hunting today. But at the same time, uh, the, the biggest source of mortality there today is is roadkill. So every one of those populations, again, there's different, uh, you know, po- human populations in those areas. If you think about North Georgia, we're, you know, we've got a lot of folks and we've got uh, a lot of development. But it's also, you know, if you get into the Appalachians, there's plenty of places for bears to, you know, get away from people as well. Uh, but but honestly, they can handle people, and uh, unfortunately, they sometimes adapt the wrong way, and they end up eating people's food and getting into trouble that way. So a little bit different when you go to the farm country in South Georgia or when you go to the southeast Georgia, and you've got the Okefenokee Swamp down there that's harboring a, a pretty good bear population, and then, of course, the perimeters where most of our, uh, I guess, South Georgia bear hunting takes place. But each one of those populations, you know, they have different you know, somewhat different diets, different uh, main food sources and things like that, but they're all black bears and they're all more or less the same. Right. That's a good point. And I think that's a good segue also is, um, you know, um, let's pretend like I know nothing about bears at all. What does compose uh, a bear's diet and maybe some, uh, what are some of those differences across the different uh, populations as well? Sure. So when I earlier, you know, we were talking and I said that uh, I work all over the state and I do periodically end up in other parts of the state. But by far, my, you know, where I spend the majority of my time and where I have spent the majority of my career is in North Georgia. And so a lot of times you'll catch myself talking about, you know, the North Georgia population when I'm when when you ask me a question, it may be something more specific or more generic. And I go to the North Georgia area, you may have to catch me, but ultimately the bears in Georgia, you know, their diet and really black bears in general, probably 85 to 90% of their diet is made up of, of plant-based material. So could be anything from green vegetation to fruits and nuts and, of course, oak acorns and, uh, you know, anything they can find, really. That 10 or 15% of their diet that is considered animal matter, most of that is insects. And uh, if you think about bears getting into honeybees and bears eating uh, grub worms, rolling logs and eating grub worms or anything they can catch, really, sometimes salamanders, you name it. You know, bears will eat whatever they can get a hold of, but they're not going to work too hard to find food. And if they run into something that's easy or some easy food source, that tends to be where they spend the majority of their time. Right. Yeah. And, um, you know, you bring up a good point and, uh, you know, I think the word, um, is kind of like opportunistic, you know, bears are opportunistic. However, you know, uh, do you think that, um, do bears, do they hunt at all in any form or fashion? I mean, I know you said that, you know, 90 to 95%, um, is made up of, you know, plant-based, um, diets, but do they, do they have anything in them that they, they hunt, they track down, whether it's, you know, fawns or um, small game? Do they do anything? Have you guys ever um, observed any uh, behavior like that? 
I think, you know, definitely bears are capable. And I always go back to that when I'm talking to the public. You know, we get a, a fair number of people that call the office or call one of our DNR offices across the state and they're concerned about a bear and, and maybe concerned about public safety around bears. So I always say, you know, bears are carnivores, obviously, but they are opportunist, as you mentioned. They're also omnivorous, you know, so they, like I said, they will eat just about anything. Um, would a bear turn down a, a you know, a, a young fawn that was available to it? No, I don't think for a minute it would. Uh, but on the other hand, how much energy would a bear expend, you know, searching for a fawn, especially if you think about deer populations, for example, in the mountains where, you know, they're already at a low, pretty low number. Uh, and so how many fawns are out there to begin with? And then how hard would a bear, you know, is a bear going to hunt in any kind of a serious way? I, I've never seen that. Now, I mean, I know, again, that they will eat occasional fawns. And certainly if they run across them, they'd be more than happy to have that protein. But generally speaking, you know, a bear's going to look for, for whatever's easy. Um, if you th you've seen pictures, I'm sure, from trail cameras and hunters see this all the time. If they have deer feeders out, you know, the bears may find that corn. If, uh, you know, even just a patch of blackberries or somebody's cornfield, you know, you think about these farmers that are growing corn, bears just lay down out there and just start raking it to them, you know, just raking in that food and, uh, and wearing it out. But they don't, they just aren't really uh, out there just doing a whole lot of hunting. So while they're a very capable predator, they're not going to put forth a whole lot of effort. At least I've never seen that. We do have a study ongoing through the University of Georgia. Um, that would be uh, Dr. Gino D'Angelo and, of course, Charlie Killmasters, our deer biologist. They're, they're looking into this, and there's a graduate student who's assigned to it who's doing some work in the mountains, you know, to, to kind of look at sources of fawn predation. And, and no, not surprisingly, where you've got a lot of bears, uh, you're seeing some bear activity show up in that mortality, uh, and that's not, not at all surprising. But, you know, at least in year one of the study, and they've only, they're in the middle of their second year, if I'm not mistaken, uh, you know, bears were not the, the top predator. Um, you know, there was, I think coyotes made the top of the list and seemed like bears fell in there. Uh, I, I'm not even sure. I don't have the data in front of me, so I can't give you specifics, but Overall, I mean, again, it's not at all surprising that a bear would eat a fawn, but it's not, uh, you know, I have no reason to believe, and over time I've really not seen where bears were just out there hunting down, uh, you know, deer or anything else. Because, again, it's just, you know, they're weighing out how much energy is this going to take and what kind of reward am I going to get. Right. Yeah, you're, you're exactly right. And we, uh, we actually, we interviewed, uh, Gino D'Angelo, um, a couple months ago and, you know, we got his pr uh, perspective from, um, a whitetail side of things. And so I think it's cool now that we kind of get yours from the, the black bear, um, side. So what, um, I guess, um, in general, um, how do bears interact with whitetail deer, um, for, for a majority of the time? Now we know that, you know, the population of deer is, um, you know, declining, um, in North Georgia specifically. Um, but how, how do the bears and how do the deer, how do they kind of coexist together, um, from a day-to-day -day basis? Sure. If you're thinking about in the mountains, especially, you know, uh, without American chestnut here, you know, we, we've got primarily an oak hickory forest in the mountains. And so during the fall and winter, you know, we're, everything in the mountains is competing for acorns. So 
Uh, those oak, oak acorns are very important uh, to every wildlife species out there, and deer and bear, in that sense, are competitors. You know, they're all competing for that same food source that in some years is very limited, you know, limited. So one year we may have an abundant acorn crop and the competition may be a little lower, and other years, uh, you know, those acorns may be much more limited in distribution and availability. And at that point, you know, it may be a, a little bit more intense competition. Of course, bears are just packing on the fat, you know, so that they can crawl in a den uh, come wintertime, and uh, that's what a lot of them are doing. You know, about this time of the year, they're finding a place to spend the winter. But when they do that, you know, they're not out there looking for something to eat, and the deer, of course, are still are still out there trying to find something to eat. So I think there's probably some indirect competition like that that takes place. Um Again, deer recognize, I'm sure, that bears are a capable predator, so their uh, interactions are going to be fairly lim- limited. Uh, and you've probably seen it, and certainly people who hunt bears have seen it. When food is limited, you know, you'll have bears that are very competitive with other bears and actually will protect certain food sources. I'm sure that, um, you know, if you've got an area that's got a lot of acorns and the bears hanging out there, you know, the deer are going to be a little less likely to go to that area. So there's going to be some indirect competition that way and some indirect interaction. But on a day-to-day basis, I don't think that, uh, you know, just my opinion, I'm not seeing where there's a, a huge amount of day-to-day interaction. Right. Yeah, no, I think that's a, a good point is the indirect competition. Um, just because I know this year, especially, we had a huge um, acorn crop just, I, I feel like, across the state. Um, and, you know, with uh, that could be a good thing for whitetails um, and bears alike. But uh, I guess uh, more specifically, when we have those years where um, it's not as large of a crop, that's where things could get dicey for, um, you know, all, all animals combined, because we also have, you know, pigs up there as well, um, as well as other small game animals um, vying for those resources. So I think that's uh, yeah. what you just said is a great point. Um, the indirect competition is, is huge. And, uh, you know, for the next several years, we'll see how, um, that plays out. So, so you mentioned that, um, especially this time of year, uh, bears begin to find dens and lay up for the winter. What, what exactly does that look like for bears in Georgia? I mean, do we, do we call that hibernating down here? What do you guys call that? How do you refer to that, um, here, uh, in the South? Sure. Well, to me, it's hibernation. You know, it's, if you get technical and sometimes people ask the question and so you never know where people are coming from when they say, do bears hibernate? Most of the time, I think people are saying, hey, do bears spend a significant portion of the winter, uh, you know, denned up somewhere and hold up, you know, in a, in a place not eating or drinking or anything, you know, for the winter. And, and our bears do that. Now that technically it's torpor. So it's sort of an advanced form of hibernation, if you will. Some people consider bears to be super hibernators. But, yes, uh, you know, our bears, at least in the mountains, and uh, I feel like even across the state, you know, our female bears are much more likely to spend a significant portion of the winter denned up. And, uh, you know, that's that's the case when they have cubs. Of course, the cubs are born in the den. And, and in the following year, those cubs will be with the female again. And so the females are, are much more tied to a den throughout the winter. But even some of our male bears, and especially, you know, just depending on availability of food and depending on the weather, the individual condition of those bears, you know, and some of this is uh, we, we're kind of operating with some older information. If you think back, you know, to the tri-state bear study that took place back in the day, you know, and that 
we learned a lot about bears, but that's been, you know, quite a long time. And so how do bears in the mountains respond today? Are they still, you know, choosing tree dens, for example? That was one of the findings of the original tri-state study is that most of our bears denned in hollow trees. Well, I've, I've seen a lot of dens over the years or a number of dens over the years, and, and a lot of them are in the ground, you know, and some of them are on a little nest that maybe bears kind of pull together some treetops or find a, you know, a tree that's blown over or something along that line. And we've seen all kinds, but, you know, I think it's just uh, the more research we're able to do and the more uh, monitoring of, of denning behavior, I think we'll learn a lot, you know, and I think we're going to talk in a little bit about some of the the research we've got going on at uh, Chattahoochee WMA and Chesapeake WMA, that's been very interesting, and, and I've already learned some things there that, that I'll be glad to share with you. But, you know, yes, our bears den up for the winter. Uh, the females are much more likely to go into a den early and stay longer. The males may just, you know, spend two or three weeks down when it's really cold. They might get up and take a, you know, walk, be a little more likely to get up and take a walk when it's warmer. And again, if there's an abundance of food, they may not have any particular reason to, to hold up right away. So just just one of those things. But while they're in the den, you know, they're not burning muscle. They're burning fat. Uh, they're designed very well, and they're able to, uh, you know, sit inside that den. They don't eat, drink, urinate, or defecate. And uh, they can stay there for three or four months, you know, in Georgia. And that's just a, an amazing process. But when they come out, you know, of course, they're... Uh, out and about and those mama bears come out of the den and they've got cubs and of course it's on for the spring and they're back on the search for food and so that's just uh sort of how the process works here in our state and when you go into south georgia and into central georgia honestly it's been a long time since we've studied the bears in that area but the same thing happens it's just you know the temperatures are a little different uh, the denning behavior is probably a little different as far as where they may choose to den and just from the, some of the work that was done in central georgia uh, just a few years ago, you know, it's pretty easy to disturb some of those dens down there. And so it's just, you know, they may have a more of a ground nest, if you will. Um, and if that's the case, you know, you, obviously you got to be cautious about approaching those just because you don't want a bumper off there and, and cause a problem. And I'm, I'm speaking about, you know, from a management standpoint when we're doing research and things like that. But uh, it's all very interesting behavior and, and uh, always enjoy seeing bear dens when I'm given the opportunity. How often do you find that, um, whether it's hikers or hunters or anybody else who's exploring the mountains, um, run into, I guess, an a bear with aggressive behavior? Does that happen very often, um, or is that kind of a misconception? It certainly doesn't happen often, uh, but, you know, it can happen. And, you know, we wouldn't discourage people from letting us know if they encounter something that, you know, is concerning. But, uh, more times than not, after someone explains a particular encounter, it's usually pretty obvious what was going on. Uh, black bears are very tolerant of people, and, uh, you know, they, they have a habit sometimes of finding human-provided foods and getting into trouble that way. And so it could be that, you know, people encounter a bear in a residential area or in uh, even a campground setting sometimes where there's human-provided foods involved. So maybe somebody leaves a cooler out. Um you know, just things come up like that periodically. Sometimes it's bird feeders in someone's backyard. Sometimes it's deer feeders and somebody's, you know, just dealing with that. And so, yeah, there's an occasional situation that may pop up with bears. But as far as actual truly aggressive behavior, uh, you know, thankfully, we've never had someone in Georgia that was 
attacked by a bear in an unprovoked type situation. So um, there are, you know, a handful of situations across the southeast where uh, someone was either injured by a bear and really only two fatalities in the southeast that I know about where a bear actually killed someone, a black bear. But, you know, it's just one of those things that you've got to be cautious about and careful about. But more times than not, when people start describing a situation, and especially if you think about a mama bear and cubs, you know, if somebody gets too close in that situation, they start seeing some what they're determining to be aggressive behavior. More times than not, it's truly defensive behavior. You know, bear that bluff charges somebody and snaps their jaws, things like that. That's telling you to back up. You know, you're too close. You know, you're you're perceived as a threat by the bear. And that's that's defensive behavior. Of course, it scares the wits out of you and it makes you a little nervous about everything that's going on. But those those bears can be very convincing in that situation. And uh, so you just want to take those clues and, and give them some space. You know, we, we try to be cautious anytime we're talking to hikers or if somebody were to describe a situation where a bear was actually showing them interest or following them. My first thought in most of those times is going to be, well, somebody may have fed that bear because unfortunately, sometimes people use really poor judgment and they think it's a good idea for whatever reason. Maybe they want a picture, who knows what the their idea is, but a lot of times they feed bears. And so those fed bears uh, are going to lose some of their natural fear of people. And we start to have problem situations that arise when bears are fed. But as far as actual truly aggressive behavior, it's it's not something that we have to deal with very often. Right. Yeah, that's a good point. And uh, yeah, I think uh, most of the time, if people just you know don't feed them and stay out of their way, uh, they'll be good. So uh, let's uh, let's transition to talking about a little bit of y'all's research um, on Chattahoochee and Chesapeake, if you don't mind. And you guys can, sure. uh, or I guess you, if you don't mind, just kind of start from the beginning and then uh, walk us through maybe to where you are now. Okay. Well, we we had uh, kind of started seeing the writing on the wall a little bit that we were likely to have a, you know, our first dog hunting opportunity, bear dog hunting opportunity in North Georgia this season. And uh, as that came to fruition, you know, leading up to that, we started trying to do a few things that would hopefully help us to, to get the most out of the situation. So we were able to uh, trap some bears this summer and in advance of the, the first hunt, the first bear dog hunt there, and we actually trapped like I think nine. We caught. We put GPS radio collars on nine bears on Chattahoochee and Chester TWMAs, and we also put out I think three GPS collars on bears that were in the vicinity of Cahutta, so up around Cahutta Wildlife Management Area, just sort of as a comparison. Anyway, out of those bears that were on the area, so if you think those nine bears that we started with over there on Chattahoochee and Chester T, uh, I want to say there were. One of those was taken or harvested during bow season, and so we had eight bears that were still alive prior to the hunt. Um, the hunt, of course, was a nine-day quota hunt for, for parties, and so there were a certain number of parties that were selected. I believe it was 15 for the two areas, and I think it was maybe 10 people per party. So you had these different parties that were going to come in and hunt for nine days, and they did. Uh, out of those collared bears, I think, uh, so we had eight that were still alive prior to the hunt in that area. Two of those had more or less left the area. So we had six bears that were on the WMA when the hunt started. And two of those ended up being taken by different parties. And so we had two two collared bears that were killed during the hunt. 
but we still were left with, I think, four collared bears that were, uh, you know, at least there when the hunt started. Now, it was kind of interesting because, you know, these guys are out there running their dogs daily during this nine-day period, and uh, the bears were, you know, found more than once, you know, and so we've got some pretty interesting data. Even got some GPS data from uh, some hunter volunteers who allowed us to put GPS collars on their dogs. So we can kind of see, uh, at least on a small scale, some of the interactions between the bears and the dogs and, and when which bears were, were actually encountering a collared dog, which, you know, the data set's pretty limited. We know that the majority of those chases took place without, you know, collared uh, animals, both bears or dogs. But we did have a few where a collared uh, hunting dog was involved in a chase of a collared bear. And so that's kind of interesting to look at. We're hoping to dig in deeper on some of those data. But also, we were able to see that out of those four bears that were still on the area when the hunt started, you know, three of them decided it, uh, they had had enough after a few days and they, they found a way off the area. So they they bolted off the area and we were left with, I think, one bear that uh, had kind of uh, stayed put during that hunt and was uh, even though it was detected a time or two, it actually uh, survived the hunt just fine. Well, those other three bears that had left the area, maybe six weeks, eight weeks later, uh, they were all back on the area. So it's been been very interesting and educational for me because, again, uh, we've not done bear research in Georgia, at least in North Georgia, for some time. And so this is an opportunity for us to, to collect some data. The hunt went really well, and uh, they actually harvested, I think, 61 bears uh, during that nine-day period, which was, you know, it sounds pretty high, but realistically, uh, Chattahoochee and Chesapeake are, are always good areas for bear. And really, if you go back to kind of what we were talking about earlier, you know, bears don't know boundaries. And so to really understand the harvest in that area, you kind of have to look to some of the surrounding counties, WMAs. Um, you know, national forest areas as well as private land. And when we did some of that up front, you know, we were able to kind of determine that uh, 61 bears is not really, uh, you know, that number, and I, I don't have those numbers in front of me to, to compare the historical data. If I'd have thought about it, I would have grabbed all that and put it together. But anyway, the bottom line is it's a little early to tell, you know, how much that additional nine days of dog hunting opportunity, how it impacted our overall harvest or whether it did at all. You know, that's that's kind of the question. Is it is this an opportunity? Is this a way that we can see an increased harvest if that's what we want? You know, and so it's been very interesting and uh, informative. Of course, this is a good year for acorns, as you mentioned. So uh, overall, I think it ranked out. We do an acorn survey every fall. This year was considered fair. But it's on the high end of fair, so it's been pretty good year overall. And typically, if we have a lot of acorns, our harvest tends to go down. So our bear harvest tends to be smaller when we have an abundance of acorns. But this year, it seems that our harvest is keeping up pretty good. So it's, it's going to be interesting to see where we end up overall. Yeah, that's uh, <clears throat> there's a lot to uh, unpack in what you just said, and so I, I find all <laughs> that uh, ext extremely interesting. Um, 
I guess to start um, to talk about the, sure. the acorns that you were mentioning, um, you can tell that we're we're from different areas of the state. I say acorns, you say acorns. It's the same thing: tomato, <laughs> tomato. You know. Um, yeah. Well, <laughs> so, I usually have to uh, I usually have to tell people what an acorn is, but in this case, I've tried to say it both ways. That way, people can kind of figure out what I was talking about. <laughs> no, you you say it like you say it, and uh, we'll leave people to figure it out themselves. So um, now you said you guys did a survey. Where where did you guys do a survey, um, what region is that, um, I guess, that classification of fair, where is that indicative to? Can you kind of uh, large scale that through the whole state, or is that just North Georgia? What What is that for you guys? It is. It's just North Georgia. So that acorn survey has been going on now for many, many years. Uh, I think we have data back into the 80s, 1980s. And, and we've done an acorn survey uh, every fall. So we do it in September, the first part of September. Uh, excuse me, first part of August. No, it's the latter part of August. I'll get it right. August 20th through the 31st, I think, is typically when we do that survey. And and so we kind of rank out the acorn crop for the year. And then that just helps us to understand both what we're observing in our with our hunting season. also helps to give information out to hunters. Because, again, if the acorn crop is very limited, either in geographic location or elevation or any kind of trend that we can kind of tease out, uh, we can feed information to hunters and, and they're able to improve their success in the field and also kind of know where to go spend their time scouting and things like that. And when you think about bears in the swamp and in southeast Georgia and even in central Georgia, you know, they're, they're certainly still eating oak acorns, but it's not the same as it is in the mountains. And especially if you look at the swamp, of course, you know, you've got black gum as a big food source down there and palmetto uh, and other things. So all the, they're still have they have some of the same foods in their diet, but the percentages would certainly be different. And and we don't do a mass survey, if you will, of some of those other foods that I'm mentioning there, and certainly not any of the soft mass. We don't have any kind of soft mass survey that we're doing throughout the state. Okay, cool. Yeah, that's a, that's actually really interesting because um you know like you said, depending on um the crop depends on the harvest. So um have you guys? Uh, well, no, I guess we're not at the end of the year yet. So when when do you guys compile the uh, the data for the overall harvest of the year? Like when will we be able to to find out um, those numbers? Okay, well the the season ends up here. You know, the second Sunday in January, and after that it'll probably take you know, three or four weeks, maybe a month before we get all the data back to the, the office. You know, that's just typically the way the, the guys in the field are bringing in their data sheets whenever they're in the office. So it takes a little bit of time for all that to come back. There's also a period of time when we have to take all that paper data and actually enter it into the computer and get it, you know, in a format that we can summarize it. From a practical standpoint, sometimes that extends, you know, into maybe you know, the latter part of February, 1st of March, somewhere in that neighborhood. Usually by the middle of March, we've got a pretty good handle on uh, how the season went overall. And uh, we've usually got our summaries produced by that time. And all those summaries, by the way, especially uh, the last, say, 10 years or so, if you go online to our website, which is GoHuntGeorgia.com, you can uh, go on there and search. Uh, There's actually a page that's specifically for bears. I believe it's you know, our website's got two or three ways you can get to it, but georgiawildlife.com slash bear hyphen info or something like that. And you can, you can actually see all those summaries if anybody wanted to look that, look at that a little closer. 
Yeah, for sure. And I, I think I've actually um, looked at those numbers before. But for somebody um, who hasn't, can you just give us uh, an idea of um, what the, the harvest numbers have been over the last couple of years? You may not have specifics in front of you, but what are some you know general numbers of uh, bear harvest over the last couple of years? Sure. So last year was our second highest harvest in North Georgia that we'd ever had. So in, I think, 2011, 2011, we had a 529 bears were taken in North Georgia. That's our largest North Georgia bear harvest ever. And then uh, last year, we were up around 515, so 2018 was a big year. We also didn't have a lot of acorns that year, so it makes sense, you know, that our harvest would be up a little bit, especially when you consider that the previous two years, 17 and 16, uh, we had a pretty good acorn crop in both of those years. So two good acorn crops back-to-back probably meant we had, you know, slightly lower harvest overall than normal in those years. And not only that, but bears had plenty to eat, so they were in good condition. Uh, reproduction would have been up as well as cub survival and things like that. So overall, we kind of had this swelling that occurred. And then in 2018, with lack, you know, a fair, a, a lower acorn crop and less food out there, we saw an increased harvest. And uh, it seems that some of that's still going on this year, even though this year, again, you know, we haven't got the numbers back yet, but, but we started off pretty strong this year, so. Even though the, the acorn crop seems to be pretty abundant, uh, our harvest has been, you know, pretty steady throughout the season, it would seem. Now, when you go to South Georgia, we've seen sort of average years down there. Has That average has, has climbed up over time. But in the swamp, you know, these days uh, we've got 12, I think 12 days is all that's allowed for dog hunting in the swamp. They do it over four weekends, I believe, three days, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. Uh, and those, you know, historically it was like nine days. Now it's 12, a little bit of hunting on Dixon Memorial WMA down there. But overall, you know, the opportunity is much less down there. But they're still harvesting somewhere around 100 to 120 bears a year on average. And then middle Georgia, we just have a very limited opportunity. Uh, I think we have one day, you know, and I think it's December if I'm remembering correctly. And it's pretty uh, pretty minimal harvest, but at the same time, that population is just so different uh, in terms of how much harvest it could actually handle. And so we want to manage that very carefully. For sure. So uh, the five the five hundred number that you threw out that was for uh, North Georgia only. Did I understand that correctly? That's right. Yeah, five hundred fifteen. I think was last year's legal harvest in the mountains. So, you know, altogether, you're looking anywhere from 600 to 650 bears taken across the state, um, I guess, last year, um, which is, I mean, right. that's a, you know, that's a really good number. Um, I, you know, I don't know uh, how that, uh, you said it was high. So, you know, obviously that's um, high for, for harvest. So it'd be, it'd be interesting to see like what you said, how it, uh, how it looks like this year, once all that data is compiled, Um you know, in the, the late spring, early summer. So that'll be, that'll be cool to take a look at for sure. Yeah. And we, we have some years, you know, that are not nearly that strong in terms of uh, the bear harvest, you know, for many, many years, 200 to 250 bears was pretty normal in the mountains to be harvested during the season. But we have had some big years and we've had a, a couple of years when it was less, you know, if you think back to 2014, uh, that was one year that 
uh, was just kind of an outlier, if you will. We had a good acorn crop that year, so we would have expected our harvest to be uh, down that year. But the previous year in 2013, we had maybe the worst acorn crop ever, and we had a, a higher than normal harvest in 13. Anyway, all that to say that 2014, I think we only harvested 147 bears in North Georgia. So pretty big swing there from 147 to 515 or 529. You know, there's some pretty good variation in there, but I would say an average harvest in the mountains these days is somewhere around 400 bears. Okay. Wow, that's pretty, that's pretty interesting. And of course, like, um, you know, that's over tens of thousands of acres um, across North Georgia from WMAs to national forests and um, I guess private land too. So um, do you know, and you may have, you may have answered this already. Do you know uh, approximately what the populations were um, on Chestati and Chattahoochee uh, before going into the season? I know you said that they travel a lot, but I didn't know if you guys had an idea of how many bears were in that general area prior to the hunt. Don't have anything really that that I could uh, give you that had any sort of scientific basis. (laughs) We do have, uh, you know, it might be worth mentioning that we've actually been working with uh, the University of Tennessee, University of Tennessee also to, uh, excuse me, I'm losing my voice, to do a study, a hair snare study, which was kind of a DNA mark recapture study in the mountains of North Georgia and this was done uh, not this past summer, but before that. So I think summer of uh, 2018. Actually, it may have been 17. Anyway, it's, it's, we haven't received our results back, but they're due hopefully within the next six months to a year. We should we should have those results back on that. And really what they're going to do for us is they're going to provide us with a population estimate for North Georgia, Appalachians of North Georgia, and then it's actually it's the same studies being done in North Carolina, South Carolina, Tennessee, and we'll have more or less a, an estimate of the bear population in the Southern Appalachians as a whole. We'll also be able to get at some density estimates, and and really don't have that information any other way. So we we kind of know, relatively speaking, that Chattahoochee and Chesapeake those are high density populations for North Georgia, but as far as exact numbers, we really couldn't produce any you know, valid estimates. Sure. Yeah. And that, that makes perfect sense. I mean, otherwise you'd have to probably go collar all those animals and (laughs) figure it out from, from there. Um, so in general, before we kind of talk about the specifics of the hunt, uh, in general, how, how do bears travel? Do they stay in a core area? Do they just, uh, travel finding food and where they end up, they end up, what, what do bears typically do? Well, bears live and die by their stomach. You know, that's that's really what they their whole life revolves around food, uh, food and reproduction. But when it comes to, you know, their greatest sense, it's always their sense of smell. Uh, and they, they can use that sense of smell to find something to eat. Um, typically, you know, females have uh, home ranges that are thousands of acres or ten thousands of acres. I, I should say most females probably have home ranges in the thousands whereas most males typically have home ranges in the tens of thousands of acres. And it's been very interesting as we've monitored these GPS collared bears. I mean, we've had some some bears that have really covered some ground, but, you know, 25 miles uh, one way is not terribly far for a bear. So uh, they can move over greater distances and sometimes do. 
but if there's an abundance of food and uh, if everything is just kind of well and good, then you know they don't they don't move any more than they have to. Right. Yeah, that makes that makes perfect sense. So, um, and uh, so, what did you guys see when these bears uh, moved off the WMAs because of the the dog hunts? Did they go right outside the WMA and just kind of you know hold tight, or did they go off a certain distance looking for food? Have you guys even compiled that information yet? You're talking specifically about during the dog hunt. Is that right? Correct. Yeah. You mentioned that uh, I think you said three of them left the WMA um, initially, uh, or mm-hmm. there was some number, left the WMA and then returned six to eight weeks later. Right. Yeah. And that's that's just sort of uh, some interesting data that we've seen. We haven't really dug into that, but it's clear when you look at the data, <clears throat> you know, they made more or less straight line movements uh, that seemed to have been prompted by you know, some of the hunt activity, it's not for sure, but it certainly looks that way. And some of those movements were 10, 15 miles or more uh, when they when they did go off the area. Of course, they didn't, you know, that's not far, but they spent a significant amount of time in those areas before finally returning back to where they had initially been anyway. So, it, again, it's very interesting. We're hoping to learn more. I would love to have a student actually look at these data and really dig in a lot deeper than than probably I will have time to do or, or uh, opportunity. But, you know, there's a lot of information that's being collected and hopefully we'll be able to dig into it a lot deeper than we have so far. For sure. Um, yeah, I, I think that's that's super fascinating, especially since those bears returned back to where um, you know, they came from. So there's, you know, there's something there to say that they kind of, I guess, have a quote home, um, kind of like whitetails do. They have a core area. So whether, you know, like you said, it's um, somewhere in the thousands of acres or tens of thousands, that's still uh, super fascinating. So now will you guys, um, do you guys plan to collar more bears uh, next year as well prior to um, some of these hunts? Yeah, if all goes well, we're hoping to uh, put out some more collars this this summer, uh, this spring and summer. If we have any luck trapping, we'll get started as early as we can and try to do some more trapping on these areas and across North Georgia where we can put out a few collars and uh, hopefully learn even more uh, throughout. And, of course, we'll have some of these collars that are still out there. Like I said, we have good guy. I think we've got eight now that uh, are still out there, so we'll have opportunity to continue this learning process. It'll be good for us. And uh, so far it's been, been beneficial for us to learn from this situation. For sure. Yeah. I think that's uh that's really cool. So now is there, um, are you just, are y'all collaring um, any bear that you catch or is it uh, specific to cubs, females, males? Um, do you guys, y'all have a preference there? We, we were targeting females primarily. Uh, because there's other benefits to having females on the, you know, that are collared. We're able to do the den work analysis and, you know, monitor their, both their denning decisions and behavior as well as their reproductive success. Uh, but all that is just kind of an added benefit. And so we we did more or less target females, but I think in the end it, it came out, uh, we may have actually had a slightly higher number of males that were collared. So, at this point, I'm pretty sure the, uh, the the males make up the majority of the eight that are still with us today. So, <clears throat> okay, yeah, 
Okay, that's really neat. So, um, now cool. So one thing that you know, I'm, I still hardly know anything about. Uh, you know, I mentioned beforehand that I, I did go up um, once this year uh, to try to bear hunt, and um, we didn't come across anything. But I, you know, we set up on some sign and. Uh, as you mentioned, that doesn't necessarily mean the bears are in the area because they're following their stomachs. Um, how do, how does elevation play a part in the way that bears, um, move from place to place? I mean, is it more just where the food is or, um, do bears typically find themselves at higher or lower elevations throughout the course of the year? I think more than anything, it's related to food, you know, so they're going to go wherever there's food. If there's an abundance of food, then they may have some, uh, you know, options as far as where they spend their time. It may be, you know, cooler at high elevations or whatever, but it just totally depends. Uh, the majority of the decisions made, you know, based on food availability. Uh, and if food is limited, obviously, at one elevation or the other, they're going to go to where there's an abundance or more available food resources. If you think back to, uh, I think it was like 2007, we had a late freeze that April. I don't know if you remember that or not, but, um, you know, everything down low had already greened up. And so there was, you know, dogwoods blooming, daffodils blooming, everything was blooming and looking great down low. And up in the higher elevations, nothing had really come out of the, the dormant season. Well, we had that late freeze in April. I think it was like April 22nd or something. It was really late in the month. Anyway, all those lower elevations just got wiped out from that late freeze. That following fall, we had a very interesting scenario play out where the mountains, the higher elevations, there was an abundance of acorns at those high elevations, but the down low areas or the lower elevations really didn't have much in the way of, of acorns at all. And so in that year, I mean, it was uh, the bear activity was extremely uh high and active in the higher elevations and uh, the bear harvest and the hunters responded accordingly you know they figured out where the bears were going and in some ways that concentrated bears and made them a little more easy uh, a little easier to harvest that that fall so we see that kind of trend play out from year to year just depending on the variation in the acorn crop that year and i think a lot of that's weather related but uh, otherwise i haven't really noticed a lot relative to how bears move relative to elevation other than you know sometimes those mountaintops are are good travel corridors and i think that definitely takes place but um elevation the main thing about elevation when it comes to bear hunting is obviously that you just want to find food and sometimes that food is distributed differently at different elevations sure yeah that makes sense so what so what about hibernation or denning does elevation play a part in that or is it basically just wherever they can find a place to to den up for the winter yeah i've not i've not really seen where that plays a huge role in that um of course where we have our strongest bear populations you know is is in the mountains and uh, so usually when i've found bear dens uh you know in just a natural setting they'll choose a site you know that's pretty rugged country sometimes it's steep uh, we were up on blood mountain yesterday tracking a bear and you know that's pretty rugged country <laughs> so uh, it's not uncommon not uncommon at all for them to, to choose a spot that's a little less desirable for people to go and you know they're just looking for a place to, to where they're going to spend the winter and not going to be disturbed so uh, all that 
works out really well, but a lot of times it is some of the steeper country and, uh, I don't know that elevation plays into that as much, but certainly in terms of topography, they, they their dens seem to sometimes, at least in the national forest up here, it's not uncommon to find them on some really steep slopes. Right. Yeah, that's really neat. That's super informative too, because, um, and it, you know, it makes sense. Like you said, uh, if you have a late freeze, um, sometimes that stuff, lower elevations, isn't uh, going to be as plentiful come that fall, which, you know, if, if, uh, if we thought about it that way, like it would make complete sense while hunting, but I feel like, you know, we'd have to, as a hunter, I'd have to go back and look through, uh, you know, all the weather data and, um, stuff of that nature to, to see how the upcoming year might look. And I'm sure there's some hunters out there who do that. Um, and by all means, it probably increases their chances of, of harvesting a bear. But, um, I think that's super, super fascinating. So, uh, I'm going to, I'm going to backtrack a little bit, um, and talk, go back to the, the populations a little bit. Is there, um, are, is there an effort at all to, um, connect basically the middle population with the Northern population? I mean, obviously we have this big obstacle called Atlanta, as you've already (laughs) mentioned, um, which makes that difficult, but, um, you know, are you guys trying to do that? Um, if so, maybe how, like, what, what does that look like exactly? Sure. Well, we, we just have in the last, I think last October, 2018, we, um, we're out, you know, talking up the, the bear management plan for the state. We were collecting input from hunters and from the public at large, and we're trying to just gather, you know, the next 10 years, what does bear management look like in Georgia? As part of that process, of course, we were looking at habitat, connectivity, and certainly in that middle Georgia population, it's more important. So um, how that works specifically and and how we're going to be able to achieve it is a a more difficult question. But the State Wildlife Action Plan has some corridors in there that are uh, potentially going to be useful to us in relative to middle Georgia bears. Uh, ultimately, I think it's more likely that we could connect the southeast Georgia population and the middle Georgia population. Uh, those two, we've had a little bit of genetic transfer there in the past, or I say that we've had, uh, you know, bears that we were GPS tracking that went from middle Georgia towards the Okefenokee. I don't know that they ever uh, actually spent any significant time down there, but they, they got pretty close. And uh, we've also had some bears, say, from Florida that have come up and, and been killed on the roads in and around the middle Georgia population. Uh, whether or not they were able to breed or not, you know, we don't know those kinds of things, but, but certainly we're, I think there's more opportunity for those habitats and, and areas to be connected in the South Georgia area than there is, you know, to get through Atlanta. That's just a much bigger challenge. And we do have a little bit of hope, you know, that even over in Alabama, if you think about the Talladega National Forest and even in northeast Alabama, you know, there's bear population there that uh, is growing. And so it's entirely possible that uh, in in time that those bears that are in Alabama, you know, would be uh, intermingling with uh, bears in Georgia. You know, they certainly do in north Georgia today, but it could happen in middle Georgia just the same. So we're aware of it and there's some uh, efforts underway. There's, there's other efforts as well where, um, you know, different groups and different agencies are working together, but DNR is a part of those conversations and we're trying to just maximize the opportunities for land conservation 
that would help us to achieve that goal in addition to other goals as well. Right. Yeah, that makes sense. Well, that'll be interesting to see kind of what comes of that um, here in the next uh, several years. Um, so y- you mentioned um, habitat, and I'm curious, um, how what what is good bear habitat? Because I know for whitetails, um, with some of our conversations with uh, like Gino D'Angelo and um, some of the uh, grad students at UGA that one of the reasons the whitetail population is on the decline is because the habitat is just really poor uh, compared to what it used to be. Is that the case for bears also, or what makes good bear habitat? Well, bears, you know, I mentioned earlier that bears are very adaptable. And uh, I think it's certainly true that bear populations benefit if you think about the lack of early successional habitat you know, young cutover lands that grow a lot of berries and fruit, small, you know, uh, soft mast. Those those areas provide good cover for wildlife in general, but they also provide an abundance of food, and uh, and that's true for bears as well. But bears have adjusted really well to the mature forest that we're dealing with across the North Georgia area. Um, they do really well in that environment. At times, food is limited. But where there's a lot of people, there's an abundance of food. And so bears have adjusted. And a lot of times, like I said earlier, it sometimes gets them in trouble. But they will wander into a neighborhood and they'll find, you know, bird feeders and garbage cans and uh, pet foods and deer feeders and, you know, whatever it might be. And, of course, nowadays, you know, sometimes they may find these uh, wildlife feeders out in the woods, you know, whether it's a deer feeder or whatever. So. Bears will find something to eat um, in terms of the, the habitat they need. They obviously need some forested areas, but they can uh, survive, really, even thrive in areas where there's there's more people than, than we'd like to sometimes think. I think about northeast, the, the northeastern U.S., I mean, states like New Jersey, um, they've got a ton of, ton of bears, but they also have a ton of people, and... Uh, the two interact, you know, quite often. So bears can adjust and have, uh, but but they can utilize a whole variety of habitats. For sure. And I think, um, you know, we're seeing that uh, come to fruition, like you've already said, like they adapt really well. And obviously that's one thing that deer are not as good at um, because they you know, they don't have the ability to climb. And uh, most of the time, if they go into the city, they get hit by cars and as do bears, but um, bears are a little bit, uh, I feel like a little bit more adaptable in that way. So that, that makes perfect sense. So, um, uh, so yeah, the other thing, Nathan, is that bears, you know, can roam and they can cover large, you know, they can cover a lot of ground quickly. Uh, For example, I think it was 2013 when we had a really bad acorn crop you know we had bears going to uh, north the north part of atlanta in november you know they were showing up there uh, sows and cubs showing up in the edge of atlanta in the late part of the year you know and so if they were there in november they were probably there uh, in january and february and march you know in april so um, it's pretty interesting they can go to the food if the food's limited and that's what they do more times than not Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I, I do remember that. And I've remembered several different scenarios over the last several years where they come down to Atlanta just in, you know, different parts of the year. So, 
Well, we have covered a lot. And um, is there anything else that you would add that maybe um, if somebody is listening, uh, something maybe that we left out or that we forgot? Uh, I would just mention, you know, I don't know um, how folks, how familiar folks are with bears, but if they want to learn more just about bears in general, uh, we've got a great resource at our fingertips these days. It's called BearWise. So B-E-A-R-W-I-S-E dot O-R-G, bearwise.org. It's not really, uh, you know, built with hunters so much in mind as it is just trying to help people coexist and live responsibly with bears. But there's a lot of biological information there that people may find interesting as well as how to deal with encounters. Uh, And there is some information there for hunters. So I would encourage people, if they haven't haven't seen it, to check it out. It's bearwise.org. It's a good resource. Very cool. That was my next question. So is there anywhere else um, if people want to find out more where they can go, like uh, some of the the population data or some of the harvest data over the last several years? Well, our our bear management plan is now completed and signed off on, and it's on our website as well. So if you go to georgiawildlife.com, find the the bear page, the one I mentioned earlier, uh, and there is some information that's there where they can find the harvest data, they can find out uh, anything they want to know relative to the populations that we've been discussing. Very cool. Well, Adam, thank you so much for taking time to come and uh, just talk about this. I find it really interesting and fascinating, and I'm sure um, there's a handful of other people who do as well. And, um, uh, you know, as as the population um, begins to increase or at least kind of uh, stay steady, um, I'm sure, you know, more people – will um, take interest in in hunting bears in Georgia um, all across the state for that matter. So thank you for yes, taking sir. time to do this and um, I'm glad we could do it. Yeah. Thank you, Nathan. I appreciate it. All right, folks, that is another episode in the books. Thank you guys so much for listening. I know I have been looking forward to that conversation for a very long time. I went bear hunting uh, for the first time specifically intentionally for black bears this past season and didn't have much luck, but I learned a lot and I learned a lot in this conversation as well. And I hope to take it and uh, push it forward and use it again um, this uh, next year. So uh, I hope you guys took away as much as I did. Um, So, uh, you know, maybe we'll just have uh, a bunch more bear hunters out there now that we've all listened to this, but um. If you guys love the podcast, um, or even if you just like it, please go over to um, iTunes, leave us a rating or review, and subscribe. Share with your friends. Um, We'd really appreciate it. That helps us out a lot. Um, And thank you guys for listening. Um, Thank you for those who um, are sharing it already. Thank you for those who are um, just writing in and asking questions, uh, leaving um, just kind words, um, sharing your uh, success stories. Um, that means a lot to us and, um, it, it means that, you know, um, we, we just are at least helping, um, some of you guys in some form or fashion. So thank you guys for listening. Um, if you're still out there hunting, good luck. If not, um, Hey, it's time to time to buckle down, um, recharge and get ready for September, October. So thank you guys for listening and good hunting.